0: To the Peaceful Ease podcast. As always, you can get a hold of us via email. Podcast at peacefulease.com is that email address. Any questions, ideas, comments, anything you want to send to Ela, you can do that there. Also, com is the website where you can find us. Ila, I am so excited for today's episode. You have another interview queued up with Clive, who uh, listeners have heard in the past as a guest on the program, and there were some of just brilliant episodes. And I mean, you and Clive have such a relationship that it's just so much fun to hear you two talk about, you know, in today's episode, meditation, but basically anything you talk about.
1: Yeah, thank you. Well, Clive has been a teacher of mine for what feels like lifetimes. (laughs) We spent so much time together. He spent so much time with me Telling me the same things again and again until I really got it and until I really digested it. And he's been doing that for a while now. And I'm grateful. I mean, I can say that he's one of those people who single-handedly changed my life. I don't think I would be here with you, with our listeners doing this podcast if I hadn't met him. So I owe him a lot. And it's an honor to have him as a guest And I've been hiding these recordings for a while now because we recorded them all together when we were in Mallorca. It's so nice to kind of share his wisdom with everyone.
0: It's really exciting. I mean, he's Clive is very deep, but explains it very simply.
1: That's his magic. There's so much complexity when you start studying the Buddhist texts and do the practices. I mean, there is simplicity, but maybe our minds make it complex. And he's able to present it so simply. I mean, like during this interview, one of the things he said that in meditation, we return to the being mode. That was just, to me, a light bulb. Because we are human beings in the end, not human doings. But we are so lost in doing doing one thing after another, doing multiple things at the same time, that we've forgotten what it was to be, just to be, you know. And when he described meditation during this interview as returning to being, it was just another light bulb for me. And I really hope that, you know, our listeners will benefit from this. If you are new to meditation, or if you've been meditating for a while, but you feel maybe a little stuck, or you need some guidance, or you need to remember the basics, this interview is there for you.
0: I love it. And it's such a perfect time because more so than ever in the Western world here, meditation is being talked about and practiced. So I think this is just the absolute perfect time for this episode. So I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to read Clive's bio really quickly to introduce everyone to me. If you haven't heard the first two episodes Ela did with Clive, you can go back. We'll link those in the show notes so you can go back and listen to those because you definitely should. But Clive Holmes, he's been teaching meditation for the last 25 years all over the UK. He's completed over a year in intensive retreat and has studied in Europe and India with teachers from Burma, Southeast Asia, Japan, and Tibet. He also has a degree in Western philosophy. He is co-editor of the books *Taming the Tiger* and *Restoring the Balance* by Akong Tulku Rinpoche. He also has an honorary appointment as teaching fellow in the School of Education at Aberdeen University, and is involved in teaching MSC Mindfulness. So, Ella, you want to just get right into the interview with Clive? Let's do it.
1: Clive, welcome back to Peaceful Ease Podcast. You've been teaching meditation for the last 20 years or more if I'm right and I think your interaction with Buddhism started in 1960s and I think you met some amazing teachers around 1970s and since then you've been practicing and teaching meditation and mindfulness and I would like to ask you maybe start with the basics what meditation is and what it is not. I'm
2: uh, very grateful for this opportunity to hopefully help people everywhere. Meditation is such a vast subject again, and sometimes it's used, the term meditation is used interchangeably with uh, mindfulness. So let's just, maybe what would help me is just to investigate the word meditation in the Tibetan language, which is gong chapa. And this word Gomchapa has this sense of process, like regular process. And you could think like cleaning your teeth every day, it becomes something that is a very valuable thing to like clean the teeth every day. So this Gomchapa is a sense of like clearing the mind or cleaning the mind, or purifying the mind every day. So the real benefits can be coming not just from doing it like once a month. But from doing it as a regular practice, like, and it's like a, you know a musician practices the violin. It's not like they practice once and then they can give a concert performance. They practice every day, and then gradually their proficiency becomes stronger. And the way the brain works is that you know significant changes in neurons that fire together wire together. So when we meditate, we are literally changing our the wiring of our brain from the inside. And it's this regularity is like, it's not just a one exciting event of a meditation or just a one-off retreat, but it's something, the regularity is, is is actually reshaping the way our mind works and our brain works, if you like. And sometimes they say, like neuroscientist Rick Hansen says, like the, the brain takes the shape that the mind tells it to. So this intentionality or intentions are really important. So the intention of meditation is like to develop awareness and kindness, not just in the meditation session, but eventually spills over into everyday life. I think this is quite profound. The brain takes the shape that the mind tells it to. So in the meditation we are like returning to a state of being, like returning to being mode, restoring our balance. So it gives us a chance to an opportunity to reconnect with our true nature, but also a time to rest and to relax and not to be too busy, caught up in our thoughts or our our like harmful emotions. So what meditation is not, is probably distraction, like being all over the place in the mind. So, and sometimes, almost uh, half-jokingly, I say to myself that all of us are living now in the age of distraction, the age of distraction, that even in 20 years, like smartphones, that, you know, teenagers using three, five hours a day, that you're not fully present in the moment That it's like in a two-dimensional world and the important thing is that meditation isn't about distraction like when you're you're distracted you're not present you know imagine you're going to see somebody in hospital and you're so distracted because there's grapes by the bedside that you eat all of the grapes because you don't want to face the person in the bed so it's distractions it's almost like a, the, can be the enemy of the practice of meditation. And a uh, 10th century uh, Himalayan Saint Milarepas was saying that the wandering mind is the biggest obstacle to meditation, like wandering here, there and everywhere. Because energy follows focus and if we can choose to focus our energy, then we can be better human beings, better cooks, better drivers. So. Meditation is like a meta skill that gives an extra depth to anything we do. So it adds to our quality of life. So I would say that meditation improves quality of life by reducing the sense of distractions. And it's almost like life could pass you by so quickly and then you wonder what happened during it all, like we're so busy being distracted. and. This isn't easy to face ourselves in meditation. So
1: really, meditation is fundamentally about facing ourselves. I really like this quote you mentioned, the brain takes the shape that the mind tells it to. And I understand the brain part here. I think very clearly it's the organ between our ears. Uh, How would you describe the mind part here?
2: again the question of words is, is is i think is difficult but it's almost like uh if you look at most of the research and the evidence back in mindfulness it is based on fmri scans that they can do now but a human being is not just a brain there's a whole living human being so it's almost like the mind is like uh, if you ask a like a Tibetan where is their mind, they won't point to their head, they'll point to their heart. So one of the Tibetan words, one of the 11 Tibetan words for mind is tuk. So tuk is like, if you ask a Tibetan where their mind is, it's like tuk, it's like in the heart centre, if you like, or in the heart area. So by mind, it's almost like I'm not being very precise, but it's almost like the sense of our true identity, like that we mentioned earlier, of wisdom and compassion, so that that, the essence of mind is like the wisdom and the compassion, and then our brains can be allies of our mindful and meditation intentions, so that they can, you know, like what they say, the mind is a great servant, or the brain is a a great servant, but not such a good master, that if you're completely dominated by your thoughts, you, and you you are distracted thoughts, you could be off into the future, off into the past, regret, self criticism, all of these things could be happening. So it's like a way of training the brain, if you like. You know, the, one of the essential things, apart from this von chapa, this sense of why do we need to meditate every day? It's because our brains are so wild you know, if you call it brain, but our energy is so wild and distracted so that we are just maybe too caught cool up in the short-term world of the short-term fix and without the wisdom of the long-term vision. So why do we need to go to do this regular meditation is because every day we wake up and there's the same old uh, wild patterns that we maybe of maladaptive patterns even that we've taken on as children that we can repeat forever until we begin to see that they can be counterproductive and not lead to a good quality of life. So it's taming ourselves, facing ourselves, and facing the fact that we are wild is a big recognition. To accept we have these wild tendencies to jump to conclusions, to judge other people, to be angry, to, to be too caught up in greed. And it's very hard to train, so we, we have to develop some kind of understanding. Like if you were taming a wild horse with the whip, then meditation isn't like using a whip on yourself and then you begin to get a lot of friction inside, but it's like making an understanding with the wild horse so that as a team that you can uh, like a, be in a, a mutually helpful relationship with the other and that the, you're not trying to get rid of the energy to work with the energy like taming the wild horse.
1: I think many of us have this idea around meditation that it's this perfect state where we sit down quietly, ideally in a full lotus posture and we have this upright back and our minds are completely clear. My experiences haven't been this way. In a way, my experiences have been all up and down and wild. So exactly what should we be expecting from meditation?
2: So again, thank you for the question, which is kind of interesting. And again, let's try to see what's really going on. One of my meditation teachers said that unrealistic expectations are the enemy of the practice of meditation. So I'll repeat that. Unrealistic expectations are the enemy of the practice of meditation. So... If you sit in a good posture, then that is beneficial. Your body is meditating. So if you look at who we are in terms of like a spiritual self, like the brain, the heart, the body, then if your body is meditating, that is really also a very good thing. But the main thing is just to sit and say in the beginning, have the support of say meditating on the breath or maybe looking at a a tiny candle flame or whatever the support for the meditation is. But it's like the expectations that it will be peaceful and then if you're not peaceful, then you get angry. So it's also, they say, that uh, unrealistic expectations can cause a lot of frustration and anger because you have this fixed idea of how it should be. And in a way, what meditation helps you see is that we're always creating a gap between the world how we want it to be rather than accepting how it is. So meditation is learning to face the situation of who we are as we are, without judging ourselves negatively against an ideal version of who we are. So similarly with meditation, if you feel like a terrible half an hour, that's maybe a very good meditation, possibly, because you're feeling what you're feeling while you're feeling it, rather than suppressing it rather than pretending you don't have that feeling. But in the safe territory of your meditation, that nobody is getting harmed, and you feeling it, and then it can go through your system. Just like your body processes food, the emotion can be processed by meditation. And then you don't have to be stuck with it, but if, you, if there's an unwanted emotion and you suppress it, that can cause all kinds of trouble. So you just, in the spirit of humility, you sit down you, in a posture you can. You in the beginning you have the support, say of the breath, and then you train the mind. And if the mind wanders, then that's a training in kindness, like gentleness. To but you have to be firm as well, like the just like a horse that's being trained needs firmness. Otherwise, it will feel insecure. So your inner relationship is developing, so that it's like mutually beneficial. And you're facing the situation, whatever it is, with this sense of open hearted acceptance and courage and confidence that you're a human just like anyone else and just accept yourself as you are. And then, you know, the expectations can be a big obstacle because we want it to be peaceful. But wanting things always to be peaceful is itself maybe the part of the problem, like all of a lot of unnecessary suffering is out of perfectionism trying to create a perfect world in an imperfect universe.
1: That's something actually I learned from you very recently as we've been meditating together. One day you mentioned that it doesn't matter how the meditation goes even if you fall asleep or not it's the commitment to sit down to allocate the time and that was a really freeing aspect for me because I realized that self-discipline we need to meditate has nothing to do with the results so what would you say to those ones who struggle with the process of meditation which goes up and down sometimes it's what you would call great sometimes it's not and all these judgments even by saying that all these judgments that come up how can we take meditation as it is without interpreting it later
2: one of the key things about meditation is these recognition skills. So the recognition skills is like going beyond, uh, taking things one level deeper. And some ways I would describe that the path of meditation is almost like the marriage of intention and attention. So what do I mean here? Is like we have the intention say to practice meditation for say half an hour a day or five minutes a day. We have the intention that the self-discipline is to try to keep to that no matter what and not beat ourselves up if we fail to do that. But then we have the regularity of, of getting a practice going. And the marriage of intention and attention is that we have this power of intentionality that no longer are we a wanderer. No longer are we just, you know, like a puppet of distraction, but we have a purpose like to develop our selves for the benefit of everyone including ourselves and then the intention is to you know give attention to what is happening so and take it one level deeper so if you start to judge yourself just be curious like is your body tensing up as you're starting to judge yourself if so just breathe into the attention in the body and release the tension so it's very subtle processing so of, uh, we're learning, like I've got a very strong inner critic. I've got a very strong inner judge. I've got a very strong, fearful person who wants to, or quite a weak mind that can easily be distracted. So that's why we're doing the practice to be our mind is more stronger. So we marry up the intention with the attention in this kind of daily life. So this will help us in our daily lives because we are more present, And it gives our life purpose and meaning that we have this intention of of developing more our true self, our true self qualities of wisdom and compassion.
1: Yeah, thank you for that clarity. And the final question I have is, is there such a thing as off-the-cushion meditation? What I mean is like throughout the day we may get this burst of awareness about our surroundings, a sense of clarity, or become... Very much aware of how we feel suddenly. We could be driving on a new road and there's the sense of becoming one with the road and becoming aware of the beauty around it, or becoming aware of how we feel. Or, like, this is something I discussed with a mutual friend of ours, Sri Sukumar. He said, You perhaps meditated more than you meditated. And that made me think of the times as a child when I was just getting up and watching the curtain kind of fly into the room and the motions of it and being present, everything in the room and feeling what was happening within. Are these moments of sudden awareness or subtle awareness? Is this a form of meditation or is it just awareness itself?
2: I think it's always very good to not be rigid You know, they say that a sign of a meditator developing is that they have more flexibility like a a willow tree and less rigidity like a a dry stick. So somebody can be meditating like, uh, say, sweeping uh, grass or or doing something physical like uh, gardening. And it's that quality of awareness and presence, maybe a sense of kindness there. So it's certainly not just about sitting on the meditation cushion. And sometimes like uh, people can be quite meditative, even though they might not do so much of the formal meditation practice in a right posture, although it does help to, to have a good posture. But it's all maybe about not being distracted, being in an undistracted state of mind. So when you're on the cushion, it's much easier to be undistracted so being aware of the breath and watching the mind wander and keep keep on bringing it back to the breath. But by all means, like in the daily life, then we can be undistracted. We can be absorbed in some process. And that is like a kind of meditation because it gives us a sense of presence. And maybe we have a sense of choice about what is happening while it's happening. So... I think we should be more inclusive in our attitude rather than exclusive. Like this thing of, you know, this is mindful, that is mindless, then that kind of dualistic sense is quite exclusive. Or like we are the mindful ones and they are the unmindful ones. And then it becomes like a golf club, belonging to a golf club. (laughs) But instead it's much more inclusive, like all the human beings are all trying to be free of suffering and that's something universal and meditation can help that and if you're say absorbed watching the curtains you're not in the suffering of being in the past or in the future so for that moment in time that you it's almost like a window into eternity like what John Kabat-Zinn calls outside of clock time altogether outside of clock time altogether so you know, often people meditate for half an hour, and it could feel like two seconds, or it could feel like fifteen hours. Time is a very relative thing, and it's just maybe this coming back to this earlier idea of meditation is simply the creation of space in our lives. So, like seeing great beauty in nature or wonderful sunrises can give a strong sense of going beyond uh, the mistaken sense of identity and refreshing our uh, unity with all that
1: is beautifully said thank you so much for your time clive thank you
2: thank you and uh, good
0: luck with the podcast and uh, thank you for inviting me
1: so how was that what do you think maria
0: i think it was like i said when we introduced it is the perfect time to talk about meditation and i really loved you know when clive talked about what meditation is but more importantly what it isn't Because I think nobody's talking about what it isn't. Everyone's talking about their interpretation of it. So I've heard at least eight different ways to meditate that I can count off the top of my head that I've heard of. So just being able to know what it is and what it isn't, and then I can practice it in my way based on what it is. So I thought that was really something that stood out to me. I know you have some other resources too that you want to mention for everyone listening that we can share.
1: I'm actually glad that you mentioned that, that what meditation is not has been covered because I just found this video. I'm studying online with Minjo Rinpoche, another Tibetan meditation teacher, and I went to his website to do my course. And there was this amazing video, it's only a few minutes long, and it really explains what meditation is not. And I was like, I wish I saw this years ago, years, years, years ago, because we have all these wrong perceptions about it. And we will link to this video and please watch it if you're like meditating or thinking of meditating it's not about sitting down and like controlling your mind and holding your breath or anything like that. And Minjur Poche explains it with such delight and humor. And we will link to that. So please watch that. And if you're interested in Clive's workshops, also go to Clive Holmes dot co dot uk and visit his website he does give workshops very he's very active especially in europe so if you are listening from anywhere in europe uh, go to his website and check his schedule or get in touch with him to see if you can catch him somewhere
0: and if you like this episode and you love these interviews with clive not only are the other past interviews linked in the show notes but we have another one coming up in the very next episode. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you definitely don't miss that and don't miss any of the future episodes and interviews that Ella has coming up because there's some really, really interesting and good stuff coming up. And I'm super excited for, I guess this is part four altogether, but part two of this go around with Clive coming up on the next episode.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I'm very excited too. And...
0: Just stay in touch. Thank you, as always, Ela. Another great interview. And uh, I want to remind everyone, for Ela Crane, I'm Mario Pereka. Thank you for listening. You can get more at PeacefulEase.com. That is the website. And we will talk to you on the very next episode of the Peaceful Ease podcast. Thank you for listening to the Peaceful Ease podcast. If this episode resonated with you, please share it with friends and family. Remember, the bigger the support, the more fun the journey becomes. If you'd like to get in touch with Ela, you can reach out to her at PeacefulEase.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Until next time, be kind to yourself.